Amen. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you and praise you for your word. And we want to thank you, Lord, for the season that we're in. And Lord, we pray in the mighty name of Jesus that, Lord, you would bless us and that you would awaken our spirit. And that, Lord, you would do something, oh God, that is profound in our life. That we would truly be able to say, Jesus lives. Jesus lives. Jesus lives. And that, Lord, that we would recognize him moving in and out of our life. And we'll recognize him opening doors. And we'll recognize him reconciling our life with him. And we'll recognize him, Lord, blessing us, O God, and ministering to us. And, Lord, we'll give you all praise and all glory for the work that you've done and the work that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Oh, I forgot one more thing. See, getting old is not always a, a joyful thing. It, you, you wind up forgetting. And every now and then I, I, I remember what Roger said. Take that ruler, that 12 inch. See, some of you have only used up one inch. And some of you have used up two inches. Some of you used up five and six inches. Well, I'm about that 10th and 11 inch mark. So it don't, it don't give me a whole lot that is left. See, Jasper shaking his head. You right there with me. <laughs> so we don't have a lot of life left. But whatever we have, let's give it to the Lord. Now you feel the coolness in the building at times, especially in the hallway. That's the one furnace that is out. We have four units. One is out. It's over 30 years old. And it has done its job. And uh, just to replace the one part was going to be over $800 plus the labor. And I decided, and I talked with the trustees, that we needed to just go ahead and maybe purchase a new furnace rather than put that much money, put over $1,000 in an old furnace. So um, we're going to replace it. Now, the blessing part of that is this. As I shared with the gentleman... Um, who's going to be replacing it. I just shared with them. Right now, we don't have the down payment. And um, we've known each other for years. And um, he said, Gus, let me work up some figures. And he did that. And he come back and he said, now, I'm going to give you a $4,000 furnace at $1,900 just for the furnace. But he said, now, the labor, we don't know because we don't know how long we're going to put take time to put it in. And he said, I'm not worried about you paying me. You just pay me as you can. And the only thing I could do is say, thank you. Thank you, Mike. But see, if you have a friend, you don't take advantage of what? He's in business. And I want to be able to pay him within maybe two months. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. That means we got to go digging. We got to go praying. Hey, hey. And Angela already raised her hand. She gave me the signal. Go ahead, Angela. <laughs> no, but uh, that's all the commercial. But uh, would you pray about what God would have you do to help out? Amen? Amen. Well, let's get going. I said we was going to go. We're on this topic called Why Jesus in Human Form. Now, we talked about him coming in human form to fulfill, number one, Adam. 
Remember what we shared last week? Adam and Jesus are the only ones who are called the Son of God in the sense that God the Father was their what? Their Father. Neither one, neither Adam nor Jesus had an earthly father. Neither one. And that's why we see Jesus called that second Adam. Plus we saw that Adam, when he was, re- when he was created, had no sin. Jesus was created how? No sin. Sinless. Okay. And then we looked from Adam to Abraham. God made a covenant with Abraham, remember? But what did he do? He put Abraham, what? To sleep. And God went down through the sacrifice himself, where ordinarily the two people would meet in the middle, but God would not allow man because of the failure of man to meet him in the middle. So God made the covenant with himself, not with Abraham. Although Abraham was the beneficiary of that covenant. And then we looked at Jesus saying, It's finished. And entering into a covenant, as he said in Matthew 26, 26, he enters into a covenant with himself again in the area of salvation. And only God could do it. Only God could do it. And we looked at those two, why Christ came in human form in the air to fulfill what Adam fell at and to make a covenant with us with himself in this area of salvation. We're going to continue to look at this area. Why did Jesus come in human form? One is to fulfill what God has said. And to recognize that God wanted to be among us. To be with us. Now, in Isaiah 7.14... He makes this promise to Israel. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. To a son. Now, in the light of a lot of things that are written today, in light of what is being said about a lot of things about God, God himself is never in a gender case. Never in a thing of female or male. Though when we're reading scripture, every now and then we get a little glimpse of him being in the female role in the sense that he would like to just hug us and bring us close to his breath, close to himself. But the majority of the time, he is always pictured in the male image. And he makes this statement. That a child would be born of a virgin and will give birth to a son. And I imagine at that time when Isaiah speaks that, people are scratching their heads and saying, How is that possible? How is that possible? But yet, every virgin, every woman of Israel was looking to have a son. Why? They might bring forth who? The Messiah. They were looking for him. 
And every woman wanted to have a child and hoped that she was the one who would bear the Messiah. In Genesis 3.15 it says, He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Again, talking about Jesus Christ. Way back in Genesis. But look at what he uses. The he again. Didn't use it. Didn't use she. But he. He will crush your head. And he will strike his heel. Now, let's go look at Mary here for a little bit. And over in Luke. And I want you to also take count with me. And let me dismiss something. This is not fighting for male dominancy or anything about male in a sense of being a male. It's about what God had declared himself. And the form in which he came in. And we're going to look why again, why he came in that form. When we look at David. He says in that verse 30, he says, But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. Makes it very clear. You're going to give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. Jesus. In the Greek or the Aramaic, but in the Hebrew, Joshua. He will be great. And look again where he says, he will be great. And will be called, again, the son of the Most High. You're going to give birth to a male. He's going to be your son, but he's going to be the son of the Most High. And he goes on, he says, The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will never end. His kingdom will never end. In 32, he's the son of the most high. His name will be Jesus. He will be given the throne of David. He will reign over the house of Jacob. And he comes in the line of both Joseph and in the line of Mary. And he does that for a reason. Because both are legitimate in the area of the family of David. Joseph makes it in a sense legal as being the male or the father. But we know Joseph was not the father. 
And what we have to recognize oftentimes is that both were in the line of David. So when you look at Luke 331, is it 331? You get there. Uh, Yeah, 31. Luke 331. And the last part, it says, the son of David, the son of Jesse. The son of David. The son of Jesse. In Joseph's family line. Then when you go over into Matthew... Matthew 1 and go to verse 6 let me get my eyes oh not Malachi Matthew he says and Jesse the father of King David Mary's line but I want you to take note that over in Luke it says David over in Matthew Matthew emphasizes something that is very important when it comes to Jesus he says King David King David. Because the promise had been to David that his throne would be for what? Forever and ever and ever. And that someone in his lineage, in his family, would always sit where? On his throne. And that's Jesus. And that is Jesus. And we need to recognize that. That here's David, and here's this throne, and here's one who's going to become king over it all. Jesus. Now, the thing with oftentimes we look at here in Luke with Mary and so forth is that boy, Jesus, he's a baby. Now, he puts on this body form. Now, Just think with me for a moment. Did you think Mary may have had to change his diaper? Yeah. Why? He was in this human what? Form. The scripture gives us the thing that, oh, he was thirsty, he hungered, And I would imagine, being in this human form, Jesus even sweat at times when he was laboring and working. And we're going to talk about it later, but everything about Jesus is what we are, in a sense. Isn't it strange? When they beat him, he bled. He bled. You could be Superman and he didn't bleed. But Jesus, he bled. 
Why? Because he's just like us. That's why he's coming through this woman. And the thing is, is that man has nothing to do with it. And Mary is even told in a sense, this is what's going to happen to you. And Mary comes to this point and Mary says, how shall this be? I don't know a man. Now, Mary knew it. Just like you and I know. Sometimes nobody else knows that we've had sex before marriage. But you know it. And God knows it. Joseph believed it to be so. Or he would have never have chosen Mary to be his bride or his wife. The parents believe so. The neighbors believe so. And the difference between Elizabeth and that of Mary. Elizabeth has an earthly husband. Well up in age. But yet Elizabeth becomes pregnant and she has a child. But God worked in that, but not in the same way in which he worked with Mary. For with Mary, it says the Holy Spirit. Then it says the Most High will overshadow you with power. Now, once you look at something there, when this incarnation is taking place, you have the Trinity there. The Holy Spirit, the Father, and Jesus. They function together as one. They function together as one. Go with me to Acts chapter 2 and verses 29 to 30. Acts chapter 2. Picking back up a little bit on this here David. 29 through 30. Get the eyes adjusted. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. Very much saying David was a human being. David did what? He died and he was buried. And his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his what? Descendants. Someone in his lineage. Someone in his family. That God promised David someone of your family line would sit on your throne eternally. And God fulfills that promise. God fulfills that promise. And he allows him to know that it would take place. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath 
that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. But God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of this act. We're all witnesses of this act. Go, go to uh, 13, Acts 13. Verses 22 through 23. After removing Saul, he made David their king. Who made him king? God did. Now let me ask you a question. Who makes Jesus king? God does. God does. God sits him on the throne. And David is able to see Jesus on the throne even though he did not enter into heaven. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him. I have found David's son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, catch 21 now, 23. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus. Now, now catch the words that follow. As he promised as he promised. And the whole process is that God is keeping his what? His word. God is keeping his word. And, and it's important to recognize that God is a God who honors his word and will fulfill his word and he's doing it here. Oftentimes men will ask the question, well, why did Jesus come in human form? Why did Jesus have to have a body? And that's what Islam and Buddha and a lot of other groups cannot understand. How could God ever allow himself to take on the weakness of a human body? They can't even begin to imagine that. We would not imagine it. We would never come up with it unless God himself tells us about it, and that's what he's doing through his scripture. We would be just like the Muslim. God, this holy, righteous God, would never take on this sinful flesh, this body, this humanity that is weak, this humanity that fails, this humanity that experienced pain and hurt and sorrow. No, a holy, righteous God would never robe himself in this human body. He wouldn't do it. But only because scripture tells us about it, we believe it. And God is fulfilling his promise. He's fulfilling his promise. Now, go to 22, verses 22 through 23 real quick. He says, From this man's descendant, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus. 
He's bought him. He's made him. He's done it. 36 through 39, real quick. He goes on and he says, For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his father and his body. Now, he asked something else because he told us just earlier that David died, was put in a tomb, but he puts another word with it now. His body decayed. David's body decayed. Now he's going to tell us a little bit about Jesus' body. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Jesus' body was not in the grave long enough to decay. But David's body decayed. Jesus' body did not. He is the king of kings. And go with me to Revelation. Because... He's exalted in this area. 1714. And you need to see this part. He says, they will make war. And we're talking about the end times here. We're talking about those who will come against him. We're talking about the Antichrist and his hordes and so forth that will come against him. But look at the title that's given him. Remember what it said in Matthew that he is king, David is king, King David? Look at Jesus here. He says, they will make war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will overcome them because he is, no question about it, he is Lord of lords and king of what? Of kings. He is that. And he's going to reign as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He's going to be that throughout history. And the body that he's put on, he will have throughout eternity. And we'll be able to identify him. Why? Because of the marks that are on that body. Remember what he said to Thomas? Look. Feel, behold, it's his identity. Show me anywhere in history, anywhere in the Bible, anywhere. Because, see, Satan can duplicate a lot of things of God. But nowhere in history, nowhere in the Word of God, nowhere do we ever read that Satan duplicated the resurrected body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for a purpose of deceiving the people. It's his identity in a sense. Look at my hands. Look at my side. Look at what's happened to my head in a sense. It's marks that are on him that identify him. Even his apostles recognized him because of the marks that were upon him. They recognized him because of what had happened to his body. Yes, he's in a glorified body. I believe we're going to be able to recognize him out, all those in heaven, based on those marks that are there. Because he took that resurrected body for throughout eternity. Now, why is it again he has to have a body? Let's go to John, St. John, chapter 4, verse 24. Look what it says there. And how many of you remember the little cartoon thing, Casper the Friendly Ghost? And, and uh, 
just remember that with um, Jesus Christ, he is not a ghost. But remember the old English translation that in England, it was not called the Holy Spirit. It was called the Holy Ghost. Because the ghostly part was, we understood, the ghost part was always something you could not see. You could not handle. And he was like a ghostly figure. How many of you as kids believed in the ghost? Yeah. We would see a silhouette move through our room, and what you do, you pull them covers on up over your head. (laughs) And we used to be told, you know, uh, don't let the ghost (laughs) bother you tonight. (laughs) And the whole process, it was this ghostly thing that we could not grasp or we could not hold. Now, take a look at 424. And none of us can really explain this. God is spirit. What is spirit? Breath. What is spirit? We can't explain it. Nor can we really put our arms around it. Nor can we see it. But he's spirit. And the scripture says God is spirit. But this God who is spirit chose to put on flesh. And he chose to put on flesh for a purpose. Because he wanted to be seen of us. Remember what Philip asked Jesus? Show us who? The Father. And Jesus said to Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen who? You've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And what Jesus wanted was that, boy, we would recognize him in the fleshly part, in the body part. And not only that, that we could see him. We could see his works. We could hear his words. And we could behold him. Now understand this principle very clearly. Washington, our first president, i never seen him. I never spoke with him. I never heard his voice. Abraham Lincoln, I've never seen him. I never heard his voice. There are people down through the ages that are great individuals that I've never seen. Now my children hear me talk about Martin Luther King. They don't know Martin Luther King other than a picture in a history book. They hear me sometimes talk about the Black Panthers. They don't know any Black Panther person or anybody who was involved in that. But they read about it. There are people like Lyndon Johnson. My kids really don't know anything about it other than that he, he was a president at some point. But look how that's been passed down. That's been passed down because they believe me. It's been passed down because they believe you who are older than they are, who were able to give witness to these things and can bear testimony of these things. 
That is the same thing that takes place with Jesus Christ. Go to First uh, John chapter 1. It's the same thing that is taking place. First John chapter 1. Slow up clock. And, and he says in that First John chapter 1, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have what? Seen with our what? Own eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. He became physical. He became something that I could hear, something I could see, something I could hold on to. He had this body for a purpose that he would not be spoken of as a myth, but that he would be spoken of in reality as a person. As a person, not as a myth, not as some story. And one of the hardest things our young people are going to have to struggle with is this. Is Jesus Christ truly real? They've never seen him. They've never heard him. They've never touched him. But there's something about really getting into his word and really falling in love with him that you hear him, you see him, And you can embrace him. Now, how do you touch him? Again, if God is spirit, you really can't touch him. You really don't hear him in a sense. But because of who he is in this body form, and this is the important part to catch now, is not because of the will of man is not because of the will of man. The same way in which he is king of kings, it was not the will of man. The same way it was of David, it was not of the will of man. It was God's choosing and God doing and God putting David on the throne. It is God putting Jesus on the throne. Go to John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. He brings this out and he says... Boy, yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, really grab hold to verse 11, and I want to then put verse 11 with what he just said in, in, in the following verse, verse 10, over with verse 13 and 14. Because I think it's a two-fold type thing that takes place. But God is demonstrating the one that is a reality in us in order that we also believe the other. Only one person, no more than two, really know if you're born again. One, you know it. God knows it. Everybody else we're taking a guess at. And we're hoping that person really is born again. We're hearing you with the mouth. But talk today is cheap. It's the heart. Is there a heart that's really after God? Is there a heart that desires God? Is there a heart that really wants God? Or is it just mouth service? And the Lord says, yes, you call me Lord, Lord, but your heart is where at? Far from me. Far from me. So he, he says, yet 
to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of what? Natural descent. In other words, my new birth in Jesus Christ is not of man. It's not a man. If you've been born from above, it's not a man. Therefore, it says the Christians, they're born twice. Once by human experience, the second one by a godly experience. Been born twice. And he goes on, he says, For the children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision. It wasn't your father's choice. Or a husband's will. But listen to what he says. But born of God. But born of God. Born of God. And then the very next verse, he says in 14, the word became flesh. Boy, the word became flesh. Very next thing, the word became flesh. How? Not by the will of man, but by the will of God. That the Word takes on flesh. Not by the will of some man, not by the will of Joseph, but by the will of God. He takes it on. Now, in that whole process, we have to ask this question. Boy, if man was involved, there would be a sin nature. That is why Scripture takes us and he says both. Adam... And Jesus Christ, their father is who? Is God. So he makes that very clear in Scripture. Because, see, if Joseph was truly Jesus' father, now we have to deal with what? The sin nature. Why? Because Adam, ever since Adam sinned, we all take on Adam's fault or that sin nature of Adam at that point. Now, stay with me in thinking just for a moment. Stay with me. Don't lose me at this point. When Adam sinned, paradise was no longer a place for him. The Garden of Eden was no more a place for him. And God puts him out. God puts him out. When we become saved... That's why he says the church will be what? Caught up. That's why he tells us, boy, if any man die in Christ, yeah, he's a new creature. Absent from the body will be what? Present with the Lord. Why? This is not our home. When we became saved, this place is not for us any longer. We're heading home. We're heading home. Just like Eden was no longer a place for Adam because of sin. And because of sin of this world. And what has taken place with us being born anew. This is no longer our home. This is not a place where we really fit. This is not a place where we're really comfortable. But we long to be home. With our Heavenly Father. And as you grow older, you get that longing a little bit more. 
that you want to be home with the Lord. You want to be home with Him because you recognize this old world has nothing for you. It has nothing for you. And He is one without sin. He is one without sin. First Corinthians 5.21 Boy, He created Him. For what purpose? To be sin for us. He had no sin of His own. But that He would take on our sins and die for us. Go to First Peter 2.22 And First Peter just He's, I think it's First Peter. Think of it. He 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 says it in such a manner that God Himself, He says, He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in His mouth. None. He is without sin. Hebrews nine twenty six. Hebrews 9 and verse 26. Let me get my eyes adjusted here. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin. How can you do away with sin when you're dealing with sin where at? In yourself. In yourself. Made in every way like us. Except for one thing. The sin nature. Created in every way like us. But knew no sin. And was sinless. Created in every way like us. For he could be our great high priest. And could have compassion upon us. And know the weakness of this body. I imagine when Christ took a journey. After walking 10, 15, 20 miles. He was tired too. Just like we would be. Why? He knew the weakness of this body. Now, he made his dwelling among us. He wanted to see. He wanted us to to be seen. He wanted to be seen by humanity. He wanted us to see him. He wanted us to acknowledge him. People could see what he was doing only in the flesh. As I close, I want you to really catch this process. Only in the flesh could Jesus suffer what Adam did. You can read Hebrews 2.18 and Hebrews 4.15. But go with me to Genesis. Genesis 3.23. And it says, 
So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground for which he had been taken. Now what John wants you to take note of, the Lord banished him. What does that mean? The Lord put him out of the garden in which a place that was created for him. And something else took place that oftentimes we forget. Go back into verse 8 with me in chapter 3. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden, in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord. They heard God coming, and they hid. What is the scripture telling us? Two people had direct access to God. Two people seen him. Because remember, Adam at this point is not in his sinful state. He's not in his fallen state. Sinful man cannot see God. Sinful man cannot look upon God. But here is God coming and fellowshipping and spending time with Adam. And the only other one who really spent time with God is Jesus Christ. And seeing him. And I would say, when it speaks about God here, that we're not just talking about God the Father, we're talking about the Trinity. Spending time with Adam. The Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Because remember just a chapter over, it said, let us make man. And here's us walking with Adam in the cool of the day. And the only other one who's seen God or seen in that perfection, in a sense, would be Jesus Christ. Why? He was with God before he ever put on what? That's why Jesus said, I'm from above. I have seen the Father. I speak what the Father has directed me to speak. There was that direct what? Communication, that directness that was there, which we do not have. And those two had that ability to have that kind of fellowship with God. When Adam is put out of the garden, he lost that. He lost it. Nowhere else do we ever see in Scripture that God came and walked with an Adam or had this closeness with man. Nowhere else. Adam, I don't know 
as he was leaving the garden would have broken into tears. I don't know how Adam may have felt losing what he had lost in the relationship that he had experienced. But I think the same thing, in a sense, takes place on the cross with Jesus Christ. Because both of them come from the same basic reason, sin. Adam is put out of the garden. Why? His sin. And Jesus, in Matthew 27, and in that verse 46, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What? Both are separated from the one in whom they had fellowship previously. And both now are separated for a moment because of sin. Because of sin. Adam's put out because of sin. Jesus comes and restores that we can walk with our Heavenly Father and we look forward to that day of seeing him with our own eyes, hearing him with our own ears, wrapping our arms around him and him wrapping his arms around us. That he comes to restore what Adam lost in the garden. But he had to go through the same pain in a sense, the separation. Because of sin. And you and I today, oh, we have broken fellowship with God because of our sin. It did not change that Adam was still his son, but the sin separated. When Jesus is on that cross and he takes our sins upon him, it does not change his position with the Father. He is still the Son. But it's the separation because of sin. And in the flesh, in his human likeness, he comes to restore what was lost by an Adam. He comes to restore it. To give it to us. That we once again can have fellowship with God. We can talk with God. And one day we're going to see all that God has created. And we're going to see God himself. And we're going to see as Job says. I'm going to see him with my own eyes. I'm going to see him. Do you live with such hope? That you're going to see him? Because in First John chapter 3, he says, Boy, if you have this hope, you do something to yourself. You purify yourself. Purify yourself from what? From sin that would separate you from him.
I can't imagine what Adam felt being put out. But I imagine that he cried, he weeped. I'm sorry, I'm this, I'm that. But you disobeyed. In Jesus' obedience, he changes what disobedience brought about to us. Can you see why he has come in the flesh? Can you see why he put on human form? And we'll end next week with the last one, that in the fullness of time, God sent him forth. And there's a reason for that, that God sent him forth at a particular time. Father, we want to thank you and praise you, Lord, for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for giving us insight. And your word does give us insight. Your word does give us depth. Your word does give us understanding. And it's as what David said, when I went into the house of God, I had understanding. I understood. And I pray, Father, that as we come into your house, you will continue to clarify and you'll give us understanding that, Lord, the one in whom we believe, the one in whom we have accepted, the one who has died for us, that, Lord, he is real, he is real, he is real. He is King of kings, and he truly is Lord of lords. He is the living God. And he's no longer in the manger, but he sits at the right hand of the Father. He sits on the throne of David. Lord, I pray that during this season you would open our eyes anew. That it would just not be another Christmas time. It would just not be a time, Lord, that we just all caught up with our gifts and our giving. And, And yes, Lord, there's nothing wrong with that. But Lord, help us to see Jesus more clearly. Help us to know that this is about him. Help us to get ourselves out of the way that this is not about us. This is not about our pleasures. This is not about what our wants are. But that, Lord, we would really see Jesus. The one who came and took on his human form. That we might have a right to the tree of life. Minister to us, I pray, Lord. In Jesus' name, in his name we pray, amen. As we prepare to give, we want to give with thanksgiving. We don't want to give begrudging. We don't want to give in a manner in which we are regretting to give or or thinking about what we won't have or what we might suffer if we give this or that but that we give joyfully knowing that our God will provide according to his riches in Christ Jesus in our life. Father, we thank you for this privilege of giving back a portion of that which you've blessed us with. May you take it and use it and further your kingdom, I pray. 
And may you make it a blessing just to our lives, but to the lives of many others who we might touch. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.